Clubhouse. Welcome to Pod Clubhouse's Pop Culture Review. This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Tonight we're looking back at the week that was for the week of January 22nd to the 28th of 2023. Caroline, why are we doing this show? What is Pod Clubhouse's Pop Culture Review? You give the origin because you give all of the Pod Clubhouse origin stories. <laughs> Do I know? I'm like I the so. I'm like the oldest. I'm, I'm like the, the tree of life. Woman. I'm the tree of life, right? <laughs> Is that what an She's avatar? The Norax. I'm like, hello, children, gather round. I uh, speak for the podcast. Basically, so all right, here at Pod Clubhouse, we have lots of different hosts, and we like to mix and mingle with different people. But uh, the three core people are myself, Paul, and Mike, and we don't get a chance to get to talk with each other very often. And when we do, we're usually discussing your favorite TV shows. So we decided we were going to start a show here where we all get to talk about different little blips of things that we're picking up in pop culture this week and just you know give you a little feedback about what we're thinking, recommendations, how you can spend your own time if you'd like to pick up a book or listen to some new music maybe or check out a new show. And we're just going to touch on a bunch of different little things here that we've been checking out. Also, it'll force us to have mandatory board meetings more often, which lead to more tax write-offs for us, which oh, we Oh, like. yes. Of course. So. Hey, you know what has been hot biz this week that so many people have been talking about? What's that, Caroline? You know that show Last of Us? I know you guys know it. I know both of you guys have been watching it. And I have been watching it through my fingers because I'm the biggest scare baby that lived. And uh, all the other scare babies died. I just lived. I'm the only one. But I want to hear a little bit about it from you guys. Tell me things you guys are liking, things you guys are hating. Tell me. Well, first, I think we have to say that the other scare babies all got cordyceps fungus infections. And that is how they died. They all became clickers and perished. I don't know, Paul. I mean, did you play Last of Us? Let's start there. Because I think most of the people, most of the dialogue, I think, about Last of Us is coming down to did you play the game or not play the game? and And how is that affecting your viewing experience? No. I've not played the game. Have you? I did. I was, uh, Tom and I were late to it, but I need to play games these days that don't require super fast reaction time <laughs> uh, because I am old and and slow and I no longer have the zest for video games that I once had oh, as a I, young man. I cannot play online anymore. I must play on easy mode. Well, yeah, see, I've come to the point where, you know, baby ass baby mode is nothing to be ashamed of, you know, because it helps you get the trophy. Did you call it baby ass baby mode? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That, 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 is, taken, that is taken from another video game uh, show uh, called uh, What's Good Games. So, uh, it's like I yes. bought this game. What am I going to do? Not play it just because it's too hard for me on on medium <laughs> yeah I, tom and i just started the, the newest call of duty game modern warfare uh, 2 which came out at the end of last year and uh, they've got like you know seasoned veteran death bringer i'm like no let's go to recruit let's start right. there you High know schooler. 
Yeah, like a lot of time to, yeah, college dropout, you know. Paintball uh, enthusiast. <laughs> exactly. A video game player. No real military experience. Yeah. So that's the level I'm at right now. But yeah, no, but The Last of Us was a great game. Uh, we flew through it. It's extremely, I don't like horror. I'm not a big horror guy. So I'm always trepidatious of playing like the Resident, you know, evil games or zombie stuff. I'm not big into horror. It doesn't do it for me. And I don't really like horror movies either. But this was supposed to have such a good narrative to it that that's what eventually made me play it. And it's true. It, it is a gripping, engrossing narrative. You feel for these characters. You get weepy. And the first two episodes actually play out pretty faithfully to the game, especially the very first episode with uh, Joel and his daughter, Sarah, and how that all plays out. And then the time jump, all that is in the game. So it was very familiar watching. There is a heavy horror element to it. There, the clickers are gross. I think they've done a great job of adapting that for television and making it very believable. Uh, they have changed some of the core lore they've expanded it greatly more than the video game allowed for but this is a really faithful adaptation so i'm excited for to see how the show keeps playing out based off of my experience with the game i saw uh, an article i mean i've seen a lot of that discussion that you've been talking about i've even seen some like i mean most of the dialogue seems to be fans of the game are are cool with the show i've seen some diehards like there always are for any right. adaptation that are saying it's completely ruined for one reason or another, a lack of faithfulness, blah, 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 whatever. Which is not true. Uh, so, so here, so the main mechanism is how you, the infected spread. And in the game, uh, the infected are, are spread basically, the fungus infects by uh, spores basically like dust clouds of the fungus and they explode and then you can become infected that way. And they've changed that in the show, but they did it for a logistical reason. But I actually think it's more terrifying how the show has it than how the video game had it. I think it's a good improvement change. Sure. But I actually think it improves the horror factor of it all, but I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, I saw a discussion about whether or not the success of this would possibly propel more video game adaptations. And I thought, I'm I'm curious to know your thoughts, but I mean, I thought no that <laughs> there's been there's been a much longer history of video game to either movie or or uh, TV adaptations that go like shit. Resident Evil, for as many times as it has been attempted, hasn't really found its stride. The graveyard is littered with video game adaptations that just bombed whether for movies or for television or animated or live action that this definitely seems to be the exception to the rule i think if the game has a great narrative you're and and a, and a good team behind it to do the adaptation those are recipes for success if it's just a shooter you're you're probably gonna fizzle out right because there's nothing to build on there's no world to really bring into the into a television or movie landscape you know it's funny is that i actually don't mind the Resident Evil movies. I know they're not good. I know they're not good, but I still find them un enjoyable on some, you know, just, I don't know, spectacle kind of level. Um, but still, there's been, you know, computer animated versions, uh, the t the Netflix series that no one seemed to like. Uh, the movies are themselves are very poorly reviewed, but still somehow they made like six or seven of them. Um yeah, so when I read that, I was just like, "No, this this is did a bot write this? Was this is this a Chat GPT making a, an article just on a on a single concept? Because it seems like, no, no, this is, this might be lightning in a bottle, actually." 
I think another key element, too, is that Neil Druckmann, who created the video game and was one of the main story writers on the video game, is also one of the two main creatives on the TV show. So he created this great narrative-driven game and is now closely working with it as they bring it to the scene. And I bring that up really because God of War is the next really big video game adaptation that's that's on the horizon to come out. And I'm a huge fan of, of the God of War games. And... If Amazon, I think it's Amazon that's bringing it to screen, if they don't take Corey Barlog and his team who created the video game, it's going to suffer. They're not going to capture that magic in a bottle. It's one of the smartest things is the fact that Neil Druckmann is so closely involved in in bringing the, the game to the screen. Well, and to your point, uh, two points, but to that exact point, uh, the success of the recent Cyberpunk Edge Runners series on Netflix. It was well received by both critics and fans, which almost never happens. But that in that involved that directly involved the guy that's been carrying the Cyberpunk banner ever since he created it back in the eighties. This whole time, so if you see the Cyberpunk like role playing game or the video game, it's all based on his universe. And he was, I don't, I don't know that he wrote it. But I'm pretty sure that he was in the writer's room like a consultant, creative consultant type, you know, when it came time to make that show. To go back to that that uh, graveyard of uh, of failed experiments, I got to I got to point out that Uwe Boll made a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> he made a lot of video game adaptations and, and he's responsible for a lot of that. I mean, I, I think we could probably dedicate probably a three-hour dedicated episode to this and, and maybe worth doing when Chris Pratt's, hey, it's a me, a Mario, comes out in a couple of months. Uh, maybe that'd be worth doing uh, because Lord knows what that's going to be like. But we probably should move on because I think I think we'll get bogged down in video game talk. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you're into horror or you're into good uh, narrative and you haven't played the game, I don't think you're missing anything by not having played the game. I give it two thumbs up. Definitely invest in it. Uh, maybe don't watch it at nighttime if you're, you know, a scared baby. Um, it's but, just uh, pronounced scare baby. Scare baby, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's sort of an anti-Walking Dead, you know, where Walking Dead had a mysterious illness that caused everyone to become a zombie when they died. And a large cast with all different kinds of motivations, all needing to lean on each other and all that. I get the idea that this is going to be like a road movie, not a road show, but they're going to, you know, cast members will come and go. You've seen the previews. There's like Nick Offerman yeah. and a lot of familiar faces playing a key role from the game. Yeah. In there, but I don't think they're going to stick around forever. Famous people have already, already died. So, so I think they're going to just move along. It's going to focus on the two characters that are on the poster in not a spoiler fashion because it's the poster well, it's their story. The I mean, it's the story of Joel and Ellie. It, it is their story as they make their way through this world. One of the things that the show has done over the video game is the first two episodes, anyway, have have given history. the The first one, the cold open, set back in like 1968, set the table for the show, which is not in the game. The oh. second episode opened two days before the outbreak went wide, which is not in the game. So they're building the lore out without contradicting anything in it, but they're giving you answers. They're they're showing you what happened before which is important for a tv show right you, you got to set the table you gotta you gotta really world build so again a good example of 
the creatives taking the game and the lore, which is extensive in the game and building it out and building out that world, like you would expect an HBO show to do. Um, so if they keep doing that, you're going to get a really fleshed out world that feels like you're kind of in it and, and living in it. So speaking of a fleshed out world, one that already has an existing world is the world of Scooby-Doo and Ooh. the mystery machine and the gang. Why are we recreating it for a new age, Mike? Have you figured that out? I mean, this is the way of the world now, right? We, we take something and we reimagine it for a new generation. Here's the thing. And, and I don't want to be the umpteenth person to dump on Velma, uh, which is uh, streaming on HBO Max. I don't want to be the, the umpteenth person to dump on it, but it's not good. But I think it's not good for different reasons than maybe other people do. Oh. I, I don't. Well, one. Well, yes, the common reason is there's no reason to take this beloved 30, 40 year old IP and change it so drastically that you don't recognize it. There's no Scooby Doo. That's a fundamental issue in a Scooby Doo based show. <laughs> I didn't know that, Mike. There's no Scooby Doo. I'm a little, and I'm a little disturbed by that revelation. Yeah. So, and, and I've watched the first four episodes, the first four that are out. I caught up on it just because there had been so much hubbub about it. I like animated shows. I like adult animated shows. I, I, I don't have a problem with, with what people are citing as the wokeness of it. I, I really don't. I don't think it's particularly funny. It's not family friendly. It's not a show I would watch for Tom. And Tom is 14. Now, material content wise, your your teenagers can watch this, but it's very sexualized for this IP. They could have created a brand new show with these characters. They they resemble so little of the established Scooby Doo gang, Mystery Incorporated gang that they you could have taken these four characters, made them new characters, and you wouldn't have lost anything. There's nothing connecting this to that. So why take this IP and change it? Just go create these these new characters. Because here's the thing. They're all very unlikable, except for the Shaggy counterpart, who's not named Shaggy. He's named Norval. And they've made Fred, Daphne, Velma extremely unlikable. All of them. On top of the jokes, which I, I don't think are particularly funny, but they're mean-spirited. They're not really telling the Scooby-Doo gang story here. They're telling a Velma story but this Velma doesn't look like any Velma you know, so just make it set in its own brand new world. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but it's like, it's so not connected to what anyone knows as Scooby-Doo as to why even bother? I think we've had a conversation like this about other attempts at rebooting a legacy IP uh, wherein they, they, whoever has control of the IP now, decides that we're going to take a character that has been around for 70 or 80 years, and rather than risk making a new character completely, we're just going to have to like make an alternate universe version of this character that has XYZ type modern um, alterations to, to whatever their makeup is. Every time it happens, I don't think it's a great idea uh, myself. I'm not, I'm obviously not in charge, but the results, they're never like a home run. They're always like, kind of like some yay, some, some not so yay. We've definitely had situations where we feel like these characters seem familiar from a, from a, you know, a 
franchise that we all know, but it feels like they're using that to create viewers as opposed to feeling like this was like a justified, you know, reasonable plot to bring back with these characters. It, it feels like you're just using our our alliance, our loyalty to a brand mm-hmm. in order to get us to watch. Because if they didn't call it Velma and they called it Joanne, <laughs> no one would be talking about it, you know. But we're talking about it because they're calling it Velma and this is a brand we all know and love. And so we want to tune in. And so when it's not what you expect and they just and it feels like they used your nostalgia against you. Mm. They weaponized it and then and then kind of bastardized it. Do you know? Do you guys you guys saw Spaceballs? I'm assuming at some point yes, in your life. Did. Yes. There's a scene in Spaceballs where Lord Helmet, um, or Dark Helmet, uh, cap- ca- captures captures the gang, captures the Spaceballs gang, and they turn them around, and it's like the stunt double versions yes. of it. And they're like, you know, uh, the Daphne Zinica characters that got like, is a man in drag like wearing like a beard yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're smoking and, and barf is, you know, whatever. That's what this is. This is people dressed up mostly like characters, you know, but otherwise are completely unrecognizable. You know how TV shows, the first TV show always has to be like, go super hard and be salacious to draw you in. And while they're doing this, like, metatextual voiceover, you're seeing, like, girls soaping themselves up in a shower. But I have a 14-year-old. I don't need to watch that with him. And and this is a show that I would have sat down. I mean, you know, Scooby, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated from, like, 10 years ago now. The best adaptation of Scooby-Doo since probably the original. That was Scooby-Doo, but modernized, modern tech, modern stories. It wasn't necessarily pulling off rubber masks, hanging out of a painting. But that vibe of the original late 60s, early 70s show was there, but modernized in a way that you understood the IP, even though it had been updated. This is the Spaceballs stunt doubles acting in a way that you don't find pleasant, you don't find funny, and you, you feel like you were bamboozled. Mm-hmm. Do, you so, know what, do you know what it's called when a man stunt performer performs the part of a woman? I don't know. It's called wigging. Oh, yes, I did know that. <laughs> wow. That's your fun non sequitur fact. For, for, <laughs> so, so that person was wigging as Daphne Zanika. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm and not the only... I'm not the only one uh, <laughs> indulging in some Mindy Kaling these days. I know you guys are over there doing a Mindy Project rewatch. What prompted it? How is it going? Do you, do you like it as fondly as maybe when it originally aired? At our house, we need to digest some lighter fare before we conk out for the night. Now, one of us can consume, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and sleep like a baby, but the other one wouldn't sleep for a week if we did that. So we have to choose things that um, are nice and easy and bite-sized. And the mini project is great. It's funny. It's sharp. It's a laugh a minute, I think. And so we hadn't watched it in a couple years, probably. Yeah. So I think, I mean, if it's not something you haven't watched and you wanted to compare the writing or the pacing, I would say Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I would say 30 Rock. It has a lot of the same jokes. It has a lot of the same banter that you're going to find on those shows. And, uh, you know, this is a show from 2012. So a lot of you guys might be like, why are you watching this wicked old show? Again, it's just it's funny and it brings like all kinds of uh, 
just kind of wacky antics, I guess I want to say. Yeah. It's, it's easy to see how Mindy could voice something from a Scooby-Doo franchise if if that was, uh, you know, sticking with their original theme of being wacky and antic-y. I like it very much because it's, you know, it's visually something I enjoy. Like, Mindy, the character, is very colorful. She's very funny. She's got, like, a lot going on in her life. These are things that I enjoy watching. And I know you guys are, you have different tastes completely. But for me... I, this is the type of stuff that just makes me smile and laugh like right before I go to bed. So if you guys are looking for like a bedtime, something to pop on, it's on both Hulu and Netflix. And, you know, there's like six seasons and you can check it out. And it's funny. It just it cracks me up. The premise is hilarious to me. And I, I just like it a lot. And it came out just on the cusp before woke sensibilities started to color like everything. So even though she's a woman of color... As, as the central character of the show, that is almost never a big deal about what she does ever, <laughs> right? And that's not the way they make shows anymore. Or I think it's kind of interesting that they really hit hard on Danny's Catholicism. In a way you don't really see in sitcoms. Right. Hey, what are you talking about over there? It's like Catholicism. What the fuck? It's it's very irreverent. And and that alone is, I guess, kind of refreshing in its own way. Like, I think that's what you're saying. It was edgy. I remember being an edgy show at the time. It is edgy, but but it's even more edgy now than it even was then because half the stuff they say you could not say now without raising a lot of eyebrows. And yeah, they get, they make the jokes that are, you know, from old school stuff that, you know, that are still pretty funny, you know? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, if you haven't given it a shot, it's, and, and you liked things like 30 rock or unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Cause she's definitely like a derivation in many ways of that same type of character, colorful, funny, you know, a little wild and out there, but it's, it's, it's great. I love it for, for just like a kind of chill out for the night kind of show. It's perfect. It ran for what? Three seasons on Fox, three more seasons on Hulu, but surprisingly you can't find everything on Hulu. You have to find it on Netflix, <laughs> which is weird. It is. All right, Streaming move on. rights make no sense. Well, let's talk about Your Honor real quick. Caroline and I are covering that. We're in the unexpected second season of Your Honor that we didn't think was going to happen. The original series came out literally two years ago, came out uh, end of 2020 into the beginning of 2021. Somehow we're two years from that. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so this week coming out, this coming weekend is part 13. The episode that aired on Showtime Sunday on the 22nd was part 13. 12. How are you liking the show so far? Because you and I, we, we talk about this for two hours every week, every episode. <laughs> we do. But, you guys have to go check it, that one out. Yeah, it's a Tales from Yaya. You can find it on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, podclubhouse.com, wherever you listen to podcasts, it's there. So, so this one is led by Brian Cranston, which, you know, automatically makes it pretty amazing. And um, he was fantastic in season one. Super happy to have him back in season two. You know, I think that we really felt like the season one was a great beginning, middle and end of a story. So we weren't really expecting, like you said, the season two, but it was a really like, wow, when we saw it coming. And uh, actually, Paul and I were just recently out in L.A. and we got to see like and the props room and stuff and all the Your Honor tags were on everything. And it was so exciting and fun for me to be like, oh, 
Like, I'm going to see all this stuff at Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers Prop House, yeah. Yeah, and so they had all the tags to pull everything. And lamps and so stuff. fun, yeah. you know, to get to see what was going to be coming on our screen. But, um, you know, this is a show that I think it makes you think. It has mystery. It's got thriller aspects to it. It's got... Just all kinds of things that makes you want to, like, pay attention to it. This is not the show that I like to watch when I'm going to sleep and, you know, my eyes not are closing. Not a good night-night show. No, not a good I, show. and not even like a – I don't really like to be doing any type of other things while I'm watching it because there's a right. lot of great details in it and a lot of great dialogue. And uh, I just think it's smart and it's interesting and these characters are well-written. Like, you feel like this could really happen. Like, you put yourself in his shoes and you're like, what would I do if I was in this situation? There's not a lot of great stories out there where I feel like, especially, I mean, I feel like you guys watch a lot of shows that it's like, if you are going to put yourself in there, it's like very like, like end of the world kind of stuff. Like, you know, like Last of Us. You keep shooting. Right, right. That's exactly right. all you would do. Exactly. And this is, this is more Try not subtle. to get kissed by the zombie because it's going to make you a zombie. Exactly. Don't do it. Don't make out with zombies generally, y'all. Okay. Okay, but um, this is the type of show where it's way more subtle than that. It's a, it's a it's an everyday situation that really could happen, and it just blows up and just snowballs into this crazy, crazy situation. I think some people have thought that season two is off to a little bit of a slow start, a little little meandering though. That that seems too strong, but that's what I'm reading from some people. I can tell you, especially starting with part thirteen, which is out this new weekend, this coming weekend. And then picking up in the weeks to come, I think you're going to be happy with this, the story as it goes. It looks like they finally found a direction and they're going to be kind of throwing themselves full steam into it. So I'm excited what's going to be coming ahead in the final six weeks of the show. It is weird, though, to see the, uh, you know, if you're talking about season on season, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's this huge gap in between the actress who plays the Baxter daughter, you know, since we also watch... Yellowstone, we have to flip between her being a, the governor's aide de camp <laughs> right. and then and then like a, a high school dropout in in uh, in both shows. Mafia which, daughter. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's kind of funny. It is. It's weird because that's two very different stages of life. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like she, 10 years apart. But men. she does an amazing job with it. And that's why it like she sells it. And there's plenty of people who could not. And she is managing to sell it. So give her props for that. Oh yeah, I don't disagree. I'm just saying it's it's a it's a mental thing. Like 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 when I watch uh, Tom Holland play Spider Man, and then I see him play the the drug addicted ex marine in Cherry, it's kind of a mental like, mm. gee, Mister Stark, you know. After <laughs> <What the hell? laughs> that's that's him in the next, and you know, going back to Spider Man after I've seen him, you know, do heroin. So it's 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 just a mental weird weirdness. That's funny. I have an oddball show to throw out uh, that I picked up, really came about actually because Tom had seen a trailer for it and and asked me about it. And it ignited in my head that I had screeners from October that I never watched. I had planned on watching, but never did. It's called SAS Rogue Heroes. Uh, this was an MGM plus what formerly was known as Epics series. It was it's a limited six part series. I don't think it's going to get a second season, or at least I don't think one has been announced. Hopefully Hopefully people don't check that and find out I'm wrong, but it feels like it is just a six episode series. Uh, it is very British. Uh, so definitely watch it with your subtitles on. I'm going to say that right <laughs> off the board because everyone is either Scottish, British or Irish. They're all talking together. And sometimes it's just like, whoa. 
And, and and this is from a guy who grew up in New York with heavy New York accents, and I'm like, whoa. You can't Anywho. understand the Welsh. I mean, that's for sure. <laughs> he said he'd like a Diet Coke. Uh, yeah, so uh, quick synopsis. It feels kind of Danny Boyle-ish, uh, where it's a World War II story, but it uses like classic rock tracks and and some like new wave tracks, uh, music and stuff, and, and there's some there's some like montage uh, music video aspects to it but the story itself is uh, these bunch of broken military people for whatever reason are tasked with creating a rogue outfit to go behind enemy lines and destroy air force bases as a way of protecting british assets in north africa in world war ii so take a world war ii movie and combine it with the concept of suicide squad and that is what this show is. It's irreverent. It's well-written. It's funny. It's engaging. It'll pull your heartstrings a little bit as the show goes on. It's fast-paced. It has a lot of action. It's really got something for everyone. Watch it with subtitles on. It has no big stars, really, that Americans Americans are going to know. So I'm never going to bother listening. You, know, you can go to IMDb and look at who's in it. If you're a big uh, British cinephile, maybe you'll, you'll know some of these people. Found it super engaging. I don't know how anyone's going to watch it. I don't know anyone who has MGM+. Plus. I wouldn't be able to watch it if I didn't have screener access to it. But it's just one of those shows where money was put into it. It's BBC produced, I believe. It looks gorgeous. It, you feel like you're in the hot desert of, of North Africa. It's it's fantastic. It's worth the watch if you can find it. So an irreverent two thumbs up from me on that. I also spent about 15 minutes watching the first episode of the new Night Court. Did not like that all that much. Did you catch that, Mike? I didn't. I, I didn't. I loved the original so much. I credit there are a couple of foundational things that I credit my sense of humor to. And Night Court is one of those things that I credit my sense of humor to. So I'm I'm very worried about watching it because I feel like it will destroy a pillar of my psyche. Well, it's so. it's a little like they actually borrowed some of the humor from the eighties and tried to bring it forward like untouched, just just like in a a sealed box, like a time capsule. But they don't have the personalities to pull it off, I don't think. What did you think of it? You watched about 10 minutes of my 15 minutes, Caroline. What did you think? Uh, I also did not like it. I felt like the humor was just falling super flat for me. It was really basic and really generic to me. Like, it just wasn't clever at all. Their cat seemed tired. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I really, I'm not a huge fan of the way that they didn't really update the humor and they didn't really try to do anything with it. And they just kind of did sort of that same borderline slapsticky but not even that funny of like, a little bit of physical you know? humor yeah and, and it just i i don't know it felt cringy to me i was not feeling great about it and like you said mike we all grew up with night court and so you have that already sitting back there as like the don't mess with that please and then you start watching this and you're like these characters are not my people <laughs> you know like i don't like this group and so yeah just for me i i i'm gonna pass is Melissa Roush doing like a Harry Anderson impersonation? No, but she, you know, she's so well known as playing Bernadette uh, on Big Bang Theory. I think that's going to be a rough thing for her to shake off generally sure. um, because she has such a specific character that she played there that it's a little hard not to just see it as like Bernadette playing a judge. Um, and so that's equally weird for me. I mean, she does stuff like 
holds up the gavel and goes, they gave me a neat thing like this. Like, she says shit like that. That you're like, you're a judge. And that's your gavel. That's and true. stop being like that. Like, I, I don't know. I don't like that. And she didn't need to play. She doesn't have that super baby voice. But that's her type of demeanor when it comes to some of this stuff. And it's like, ooh, 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 Yeah, she's ooh. not using the nasal Bernadette voice. She's not. But she does baby comments like that where you're like, a judge would know what a gavel is. Stop even yeah, acting like that. that's not like a good that. look. That's she not literally a good look held it up and goes, they gave me one of these. Like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> is yeah, Dan it just, Fielding still Dan Fielding? Is he still like a... No. Like a Aruga? No, no, he's super, he's super worn out um, and just, you know, tired. And that's what he says. I mean, he, that's the character he's playing. He's playing a totally washed out, worn out, done, you know, kind of character. He doesn't practice law anymore. No, she brings him back in with, because of dad. And he flips. He, he was, I don't know if you recall, but he was. Oh, is she playing Harry's daughter? Is that the setup for it? Yes, yes. She's Harry's daughter. Harry has passed. And yeah. so she comes to him and says, you know, will you please come back? We need a public defender because mm-hmm. ours sucks. And mm-hmm. if you if you don't recall, he was the prosecutor yeah. in the old days. Right. So he could be a little more shark-like. And so now you have him playing this more public defender role, which if you remember was played by Marky Post. And it was our, always a little bit more compassionate or warm or whatever, which is totally not his character. You know, that's not how he played it. And right. uh, he in this is like, he's just so... He doesn't like people. No, he's just tired. He's over people. He's over everything. But so is that a good match? I don't know. For me, I mean, again. Just the jokes didn't work. Go watch the original Night Court, you guys. If you want (laughs) to see Night Court, go watch the original. It was great. They did an amazing job with it. Those jokes like stand on their own. And this one, at least at this point, they haven't found their footing yet. Maybe they will, but they haven't yet. Hot take. The opening baseline of Night Court better than the baseline in Seinfeld. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might even be the same. Whoa, that's happening. (laughs) So I've got another weird one for you guys that like, it was one that like, for me, I would not ever think I would pick up. But Mm. I've been watching this Bob Hart's Abishola show, which again, we were on the WB lot just a couple weeks ago. We got a chance to tour the set. We had never seen the show before. Um, and, and it just sort of like out of like some need to be like, well, since we were on the set and we saw all the different rooms in their apartment and we saw everything, we should turn on the show. And so we did. And I got sucked in. I got super sucked in. It's a Chuck Lorre show. And it, which, so it has a lot of that two and a half men kind of humor in a lot of ways, which, you know, you guys might be like, hmm, that's not for me. But, but with a lot more like love and relationships, this is not single men kind of joking. This is like a completely different side of joking still you've got that caustic mom kind of you know element to it but it's funny to me and it has this whole ethnic portion because all of the a huge portion of the cast is supposed to be from Nigeria and they talk about their culture so much it's so wrapped up into the show that everything from costumes to food to the places they talk about everything it's all I don't for me it's very like it's educational in a lot of ways for me. I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. It's really interesting. And I really like the actress that plays Abishola. She's very engaging to me. And her friendships are very real. The conversations she has with her best friend are so real and hilarious. 
I, I'm like, I, this is the exact same way I talk to my best friend. I love this. So this is one that I'm sure flies under a lot of people's radar. It actually did get renewed for another season, which is fantastic. It's like season, season five. five already. Yeah. I know. The episodes are super duper short if you're like binging them. I think they're like 17 minutes or something like that. So I'm talking like super short without the commercials. And so you can just whiz right through the storylines. And um, and and a lot happens. I mean, they go to Nigeria at some po- at one point. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes on. Yeah, latest, I recommend. Uh, latest landing pad for uh, the former Badger. From, uh, yes, from, <laughs> from Breaking Bad, from Breaking Bad, and Gilmore Girls, and he uh, Mom. He was on. He was on Mom. Yeah, and was, uh, yeah. so yeah, now he's on this. Yeah, Matt, and then Matt of Jones. course Matt Jones, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Billy I, Gardel is it Gardell? He's the he's the Bob in yeah. in the show, and they kind like of him. built him funny. They built he his is. his weight loss desire, I guess his real life need to lose weight. They kind of built it into the character's journey, yeah. also. Yes. Like that was always needing to be the plan for Bob. So Abishola is a nurse and, and they meet because he, he has a heart attack and is in the hospital. So that's how they meet initially. That's the uh, that's the very first moments really with them. So so you have a lot of that Florence Nightingale kind of stuff going on. But the thing is that the character of Abishola, she's so no-nonsense and so just like in your face says like whatever that, again, I mean, I find a lot of kinship in that. And uh, I just think she's so funny, you know, and her friends are just great. So recommend you guys go check that one out. But it is hearts. It is like yeah, Bob Hart, like, like emoji Abishola. hearts. Yeah, it is yeah. like an emoji, but you have to type it out if you want to actually find it somewhere. It's it's, it's a little weird, but yeah. New episodes air on CBS, and the old episodes you said are on HBO Max. Yeah, and there's it's so fast. Seventeen minutes, you guys blink of an eye, and you're like on yeah. to the next storyline. And, and it's you don't have to be quick... worried about your show being canceled. Like we said, we just uh, just two days ago, just renewed for renewed for season five. So it's a really quick pace show. So like in that seventeen minutes, a ton happens, and they let a lot of things happen between episodes. So the next episode come on and you're like, oh, that the graduation already happened or whatever. Like they just keep it going fat. It's fast paced. They're they're like moving along. We're not just sitting there all day. Do you guys want to get into cancellations and renewals? I know we're going a little bit long. Here. Speaking of one cancellation, uh, we can go back to Jorah Mormon himself, who played who Bruce Wayne in Titans. He never actually I don't think he got put on the Batman suit, but he did play Bruce Wayne in Titans, a recently canceled show on HBO Max. Oh, HBO Max, the hammer continues to fall on HBO Max shows. Doom Patrol and Titans, both are going to finish their season four and they're both canceled. But at least they're being canceled and not promised a new season and then unpromised. <laughs> or at least they're not being shot a new season and then which will never air. Look at you, uh, <laughs> Snowpiercer. No kidding, right? I mean, that's not canceled, but it, uh, I mean, they don't, they, don't, they don't have anywhere doesn't to show it. It doesn't yeah, have a home. It's homeless I, the, right now. The fact that that being Zaslovd is becoming like a verb in the industry uh, is a whole thing. Uh, and, and people should be wary of your favorite HBO Max or Warner Brothers produced shows. It's almost like HBO Max has been a complete disaster in terms of accounting, finance, wh- whatever the, the money term is to suggest that when they conceived HBO Max and put it together into a product that they sold to people – the fact that they are basically tearing it apart just a couple years later and shuttering the shows that they made and, and making it so that the products that they made that were associated with that brand you cannot find anymore 
it kind of suggests abject failure. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is I, I all I can think of watching all this go on is way back when AOL bought Warner Brothers like <laughs> 20 years ago. And that was that rip roaring success. You mean it was such a clusterfuck merger and in no one was happy except for shareholders. Maybe this feels so much like that. I don't know. I don't have a problem with cancellations, actually. Uh, truth, truth be told, cancellations are a part of life if you watch TV. Shows get canceled. Shows that aren't supposed to be done get done. That happens. My bigger problem with what's going on in the industry are the shows that were promised seasons and then are reneged and then unpromised. Or worse, the shows, and this is happening more and more, AMC just did this to two shows, that have an entire season shot or a most of a season shot, film edited, ready to go, like the new season of Snowpiercer, and won't be aired. You, you can't just do that for the tax write-off. That is bad for the art of television. There has to be a line where business and art don't cross. Canceling a show, fine, cancel it. But if you've made a commitment to continue a show, you've got to honor that commitment. I think it's especially unfair when, you know, you've created storylines that are supposed to go across X amount of seasons. You've been promised X amount of seasons, and then they pull this. Because then not only have you taken the show from us but you've created this huge void where had the writers and creators known that they were going to be done you know they they would have paced the show differently they would have paced the storylines differently they would have done whatever reveals they needed to do they wouldn't leave us hanging that's that's the absolute worst of it is when you know there was still more that they were going to tell you about that character and they just paced it out in a way that the time ran out before they told the story. And that's just like, ah, oh, how disappointing. As a fan, that sucks. As a person that, that tries to understand the industry, both, you know, in terms of money and craft, I think it also sucks <laughs> given like, like, for instance, those television shows that you mentioned that are almost done, but will never be aired or the or Batgirl or going back to our uh, Scooby-Doo connection. I think there was a second Scoob that they had made and that will never be seen or like the, the, the uh, final uh, season of Westworld where rather than make it, even though the, the lead actors are on contract, it's cheaper just to pay them whatever millions they're owed rather than actually go through with production. But that all sounds fine. Like they are paid for their, their day's labor. Okay, whatever. But all of those crafts people that are involved, don't they make residuals? based on future streamings and shit like that right that's why hbo is that's why hbo pulled westworld from it not only canceled westworld but that's why hbo pulled it from the streaming services because if they left them there for people just to enjoy for years to come they'd have to pay out residuals on those so or those or those unshown seasons even it's like yeah. they're they're hedging against needing to pay on those in 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 the future Right, because there's a there's an enormous tax write-off by just saying, even if it's shot, just calling it a quote-unquote sunk cost and, and just taking the tax benefit of it. But to do that, they can't air it. They have to shit-can it. The Snowpiercer is interesting because Snowpiercer, while airing on TNT, which is a Warner channel, was not produced by them. And that's why I think if a show does have a chance of being shopped around, it is Snowpiercer because it's, an, it's another production company that actually owns that show. 
that had just sold it to TNT. So for all you guys on the eternal train out there holding out hope, that at least that that's a show that feels like maybe it will find a home at least for one more of the final season. I was so. just surprised. Like with like when HBO went live, they had a couple of launch shows, you know, like Raised by Wolves and and uh, that something by, with Anna Kendrick and a couple other things. And all that has been pulled off. Like you can't, if you were thinking, you know what, I'm going to go catch up on Raised by Wolves. No, you cannot do it. It doesn't exist. You you can go buy the Blu-ray maybe if that exists, but you can't go to HBO Max. That all just seemed like so odd, but maybe that's it. Maybe Ridley Scott, because he produced that show, made it very expensive to license or, or his residual is just like that much because there's nobody really that famous in that show. Most most famous guys in it was uh, from Vikings, which is sort of a niche show anyway. New season of Vikings Valhalla, the spinoff show, just launched on Netflix. If you guys are going to look for that, so um, just just doing word association in my brain. I yeah. don't know. This is again, this is another conversation that's larger than the shorter time frame we're looking for here. What is going on in it? And honestly, we should really bring on some of our writer friends and and other creatives that we've made over the years now to to talk about it if they were willing to, because they're in it and they're the ones that are actually suffering for it. We're fans. We are watching. We're consumers of content, and so we feel it in that end. I can't imagine what it must be like job security for a writer in a writer room or a staff writer someone that doesn't have their own show and is just reliant on working room to room show to show what it must be like in hollywood or or not just a writer but any of any of the creatives or or cast member or production members behind yeah. it well, what, what people overlook as consumers anyway is that there's no golden parachute waiting for those people there's no like built-in retirement to that line of work for the most part you know? No, if they don't get enough hours, they're going to lose their fucking health insurance. Like it's right. not, you know, it's 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 very doggy dog. It's very working for your next paycheck, unless you're in that very rare upper echelon. It, it, it's a really dangerous time for the for the television industry. Anyway, uh, I'm a little more than worried about it, given how important TV is in my life, which you know, is a whole other conversation, <laughs> but uh, let's, a, a let's, private conversation. Let's pivot from TV for just a second, because I know all of us are reading some different books, and I know Paul's like. A huge um audible guy so paul what are you reading these days well i flip between a, a few different books depending on who's in the car so believe it or not when i'm taking the kids to school i'm listening to a book called the five families by selwyn robb which is an extensive accounting of the italian mafia in america uh from basically a little bit before lucky luciano to modern times and it is super deep i mean really deep and and that is uh kind of dicey every so often because the the i mean in terms of having the kids in the car because it reads like a textbook most of the time until there's a quote and then they'll say and then john Gotti said go fuck yourself motherfucker and then <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah uh so when they're not in the car um, now, this is going to be a bit of an explanation, but 20 years ago, there was a show on the BBC, on Channel 4, actually, so not like the main BBC, called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which was a concept, it was like a high concept show where the creator, a guy named Matt Holness, teamed up with some very funny guys, uh, Matt Berry. And Richard Ayoade, 
the, the high concept is this, that this character, Garth Marenghi, is a horror writer who has also developed a TV show about this hospital where weird shit happens. And that hospital's name is Dark Place. And so they have six episodes where Garth Marenghi introduces each show sort of quasi interview style interspersed throughout clips of the shows are interviews with him and and other actors explaining stuff happening in the, the the show that you're watching and it's all bizarre stuff you know devils being summoned through portals and and shit like that um and and then stuff that doesn't have doesn't make any sense whatsoever like a, a guy getting into a shotgun fight at a funeral anyway so fast forward 20 years and uh people keep asking about garth Marenghi, and he hasn't touched that character in a very long time this this matt wholeness so he decides to write an entire novel in character as garth Marenghi writing a novel and that novel's name is terror tome so if you go and look it up on amazon garth Marenghi having written terror tome and it is written just like garth Marenghi would have written it it's like condescending to the reader. It gives way too much explanation where none is needed. And it gives very little explanation where a lot would actually be needed. And it's all super intentional and very funny. There's there's a line that I read to Caroline the other day where he's reading in sort of like a uh, like a AM radio policeman's voice. He's like, there's a riot going on at the local asylum. Patients are defecating with impunity all over the place. <laughs> it's just lines like that. <laughs> Dr. Marenghi was hilarious. I, I loved that show. That was It was so funny. So the idea that they are like taking that character and having him become like a novelist for this... <laughs> Hilarious. But it's but it's like, like it's a mess. But it's a couple layers removed from the actual guy writing the book, right. which is what makes it hilarious. Anyway, it's very high concept <laughs> kind of thing. I don't know what, how how wide the audience is going to be for this, but um, you really had to have seen the show to appreciate Garth. Like, yeah, as the, right. As the writer. That's that's yeah. You need to have a memory of a show that only ran for six episodes. <laughs> In England, on not the big channel, but the other channel. I can't believe it was only six episodes. Yeah, but he claimed... I've seen them all that many times. When he uh, when he explains the show, he says it had a short run in Peru. <laughs> Hilarious. Caroline, uh, book, book club uh, yes. recently changed your life, uh, which which is not always true with book clubs. Sometimes the book hits, sometimes it misses. But I think this one was a hit. Tell us about it. Changed my life. Good Lord. That's, that's probably too strong, but... So, uh, so for listeners, made who an impression. Made I'll an impression. For those of you who know um, myself and Paul a little bit from our other podcasts, you guys know that we have a deafblind daughter. So I read this book for a book club called Deafblind Champion: A True Story of Hope, Inspiration, and Excellence in Sports and Life. It's by Kevin Frost, and it was excellent. It definitely comes across as a reader, as like you're reading someone who just wrote down their motivational speeches. So a lot of the chapters are a little resume-ish, like here's something that I accomplished and here's when I did it and here's where I was and here's who was with me, that kind of stuff. But the overall story of inspiration and how amazing he is such a proponent for advocacy and lobbying and all this charity work, it was great. I definitely recommend it's only like 130 pages. It's really quite short. You can get it on Amazon as a paperback or on um, 
Kindle. So I really enjoyed it. I think it's a great book. I highly recommend um, Kevin Frost. It seems like an amazing person. And just, you know, the fact that he's deafblind is a portion of his personality. But the fact that he has just such perseverance and um, just works so hard, it's just like, wow, just completely wow. I think it gives you a really great glimpse into the obstacles and challenges that anyone with disabilities is is facing, but particularly if you're deafblind. Like this is a whole other whole other concept that most people never think about. So go check it out. Go check it out on Amazon. Deafblind Champion. The other big thing happening this week is in the world of movies. As we move into news of the week, Oscar nominations came out earlier this week, and the world is a buzz with snubs and flubs and other nominations. For my part, I've seen almost none of the nominees. I don't know about you guys. Are there any frontrunners that you have seen that you are recommending? Are there any movies that you haven't seen that uh, you definitely need to check out that, that, that have piqued your interest that you're making concerted effort to go watch? You know, the availability of the Banshees of Inishirin and the fact that it's about Ireland does seem to suggest that maybe I should spend a little time watching this argument between these two grown men since it's on HBO Max. I could just go watch it right now if I wanted with very little effort. Uh, so that probably will be something that I that I make an effort just to watch is there anything that that uh, caught your attention caroline i mean top gun maverick i think is something that everybody enjoyed over the summer right i think we were all like yeah getting top gun back that was super nostalgia i have tried to watch everything everywhere all at once like five times i have been in the wrong place at the wrong time i tried to watch it on a plane <laughs> thinking i would like close my eyes and also be listening to it somehow that was a terrible idea she's seen it never nowhere anyway <laughs> exactly i've been wanting to watch it but it's all subtitled and i just couldn't i did not have the energy to read everything so i couldn't but paul you saw the fablemans and you saw avatar all right so all quiet on the western front i've not seen i saw the original with or not the original i saw the one that came out with John Boy in it, um, I guess in the 70s or 80s. Avatar, I really liked. I don't think it's a best picture, but I mean, it's a great adventure and continuation as long as you can. Two billion dollars says you're wrong. <laughs> like I said, the Banshees of Inishir, and I probably will end up seeing Elvis. I did not get a great recommendation from some family members on, on that one, but... You know, here's a little fun fact. I've never seen a Boz Lerman movie all the way through. None of them. Zero Boz. Not a single one. Everything, everywhere, everyone. Yeah, I have not had the chance to see it. Fablemans, I took the kids to see. I was one of the few that actually did go see that one in the theater, apparently, because I'll give Spielberg a chance pretty much any time. The thing is, I was hoping for more of the character that was portraying young Steven Spielberg, not the same name, but you know, that was understood that that's semi autobiographical and his drive to push through whatever was going on in the family to, to make films and things like that. And that's kind of present, but it is definitely the B plot compared to the strife between his parents and his mom falling in love with another man. This is all historical fact. It's not a it's not a spoiler. He explains it in interviews. It's it's a done deal. But that doesn't make it a bad movie. That's just made it a different movie than the one I expected. I want to I want to go over to best animated feature because right. I have a really soft spot in my heart for Marcel Deschel um, with shoes on, and I love Marcel so much, and he's so adorable, and I had to go through such great lengths to see Marcel. It was 
crazy to me. I actually went to the movie theater with tickets with the kids and they were not showing the movie. <laughs> they were like, yeah, no, we just aren't playing it. And I'm like, but I have tickets for the show. It's the first time it's ever happened to me in my life. I was like, what? That was the day I ended up seeing Elvis, which I know is nominated for a lot of different things. And I really disliked Elvis and I love Elvis. I had taken the kids to go to Graceland and I love it, love it. But this was not a great Elvis. I did not love Elvis. But I hope Marcel the Shell with Shoes on wins. You know, I haven't seen any of those except for Puss in Boots. And having seen Puss in Boots, I can only assume that it won't win. Just based on that all of these others have some sort of like heart or message or... I don't know Your what children would be so upset with you. But, <laughs> they love but, but, but it's just a popcorn it. movie, and just all so these you know, they've seen it. I think three times. But I'm saying in the theater, these others are are like strong thematic kind of movies, more moral kind of movies, right? And Puss in Boots is a cat adventure, and that's uh, fine. A cat adventure. Yeah. Well, some people are super into cats and that's, adventuring, yeah, so yeah. they will be into it. I'm so sure. Um, I feel seen. <laughs> was there anything that stuck out to you, Mike, in all of the Oscar nominations in any category? I'm also throwing my weight uh, behind Marcel, too. Uh, the animated movies are the ones that I've actually seen most of as far as categories go. I'm throwing my weight behind Marcel. One, because I think it's got a ton of heart. I, I love Jenny Slate and everything that they've done with the shorts and stuff. But uh, stop motion animation is such a treasure It is a national treasure art form. And you have to, I feel very strongly if it's remotely done well. And I think Marcel, the shell with the shoes on is done. Incredibly sweet. Like, well, I think it's incredibly well done on top of it. The heart onto the heart aside, it's such well done stop motion animation combined in the real world. You have to honor those things because it's, gonna disappear it's so expensive and it's so impractical for studios to throw money behind to make these projects the stop motion animation projects yeah you have to support it when it's remotely done well if nothing else the heart for sure on top of it the story on top of it it's sweet it's wonderful the fact that they were able to do a full-length feature film with this little silly shell and make you feel something <laughs> little silly shell with the make most you feel adorable something. songs he sings the most adorable songs. my kids were just just dying, dying at his little songs. And I mean, you're right. Like even when we talk about things like, oh gosh, location scouts and all these complicated ways that we decorate and, and do all these things on set. This show is so small, but adorable and so perfect. Like, I don't know. I just love it so much. I hope that it gets some accolades. And you're right. In terms of like, you know, really appreciating an art form, this is something that is it's so niche and it's so tiny but it's so wonderful like it really makes you feel like you're watching something that you know is someone's heart on their on the screen i saw something that you might get a kick out of mike you remember the movie isle of dogs it was wes anderson's uh stop motion follow-up i guess to mm -hmm. fantastic mr fox another and, good one and this was only available in vr so you would That's need wild. a vr headset but it was a, a whole segment of stop motion with like the dogs talking to you in the VR headset. But since it's 360 degrees, you can turn around and look around. And what you can see behind the talking dog is the entire workroom where it is being animated. So 
while the dog is talking to you in character in real time, they're also showing you the frame from whatever is happening in the workshop at the same time. So you can see the guy leaning just off camera from having just moved the dog's mouth or eyebrows or, or whatever. Oh, and that's that, crazy. And, and that happens 24 frames a second. So you can see this kind of fast motion dude coming and going and coming and going and did wearing different shirts because it you know took so long to make this because he came back tomorrow. But the dog is still just talking to you in real time with Ben Schwartz's voice or, or whatever. Very it, cool. What a cool thing to do with, with the medium, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. really that's, neat. That's a very use. That's a great use of it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So that's very cool. The Oscars are March 12th on ABC. It is the end of January. I am committing in like the next three weeks because so many of these are now available for video on demand, if not in the theaters themselves. And most will be re-released now that they've been nominated into theaters. I am making a commitment to myself <laughs> to go see as many of these as possible in the next like three weeks. And I think we should propose doing a dedicated Oscars episode, something that we've actually talked about on Pod Clubhouse. I think every year we've been in existence at least once and have never actually done. <laughs> so maybe this is the year that we finally delve as we expand with this new show. I'm definitely curious about uh, Brendan Fraser, for instance, in his uh, big whale. comeback yeah. role. You know, the main cast of Everything Everywhere is being nominated as well as the movie itself mm -hmm. if those same themes that are being explored were just being done with like a superhero costume i would have already seen this movie because it's the same magical reality warping shit that happens in dr strange right right <laughs> but it's just I, I just haven't prioritized seeing this movie yet um so i i feel you on on uh feeling like I need to catch up. I, I became such a hermit with the pandemic. I, I mean, I, I was someone who literally went to the movies every week. I reliably was at the movies at least once every week prior to 2020. I think I maybe saw four, maybe five movies in the theater last year total. I think the pandemic has made us all make our viewing at home more comfortable and more everything. I think all of us got bigger TVs. All of us got more comfortable couches. All of us got like all the things. And we kind of got used to like having like our creature comforts during a show or a movie. And that's the thing, though. I don't like watching movies at home here. That's the rub. That's why I'm not watching these movies, because I don't like watching movies at home. I like the movie experience. I like sitting in a dark theater. You know, pain feels good in a place like this. Nicole Kimmons, 100 percent right. It does. Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. But it's there's something still kind of blocking me from getting my ass back in those seats on a regular basis. You know, it takes something like a big blockbuster superhero movie. It really, it's something if like Tom wants to go see it, that's what's really getting me out on my own, where I would go once, twice a week by myself. I'm not doing that anymore. Like I've lost that motivation. I need to find that mojo again to, to get out to the theaters. Well, you're certainly not the only one because there's a lot of other people. I mean, like you were saying, Paul, like not, you know, very few people saw Fablemans and stuff like that. Oh, like, 2022 is a bad year. It's really rough. For, for uh, movies. So that that's my personal my personal commitment to myself and and to, and to this podcast. I'm doing it for you guys. This is where we play the underscore patriotic underscore music. To get off the couch, get off my ass. 
put down TV shows that aired for three people to watch on this channel no one has and go watch a fucking movie in the theaters. That's what I'm going to do for you people so we can talk about movies at the end of February ahead of the Oscars. We're going to get in the conversation, people. We're Would you doing like it. Glory, Glory, Hallelujah or... Um... Something like Patton, maybe? Is it? Is it... <laughs> if you could project a giant flag behind me while I say I do it for all Americans every day. All right, Caroline, take us to the sad news of the week. Cause no, then, then... this is not my sad news of the week. Paul, would you like to discuss the sad uh, news of the week? Well, we had a significant Hollywood uh, firing this week. Justin Roiland, the creator of TV show Rick and Morty and uh, co-creator of Solar Opposites and executive producer of a new show called Koala Man, has been kicked off of all of those shows as well as he resigned from his own video game company that he started. Squanch, I think it's Squanch, Squanch. Yeah. yeah. So he has charges pending from a, a scuffle in 2022 with a woman that wound up with two significant charges of like battery and false imprisonment, if I if I recall correctly. Felony domestic violence. Is, yeah. yeah. I, I can read you the actual statute. It, more than a scuffle. It, it's it's a felony charge. It's a significant charge. It resulted in serious bodily injury for him to be charged with it. It's a serious charge, and I think that's why it cost him the, the gigs and so rapidly. The crazy thing is that it happened three years ago, and it only came out because MPC happened to report on it two weeks ago at this point. Uh, that's, that part is so odd to me. I mean, I you know... Hollywood baby yeah yeah i I, you know for i know that paul enjoys these shows and a lot of other fans enjoy these shows and so hopefully they will be able to find a different path find a way to get through this um and be able to do something that makes their audiences happy because it definitely feels like what do you do now whenever this type of thing happens and you're like okay well what do you do when like the main person isn't there anymore so this is going to be one of those situations i know paul you're hopeful crossing fingers that these shows don't just go go away completely no i really enjoy them uh i I haven't actually watched koala man yet but i met the whole koala man crew at comic-con last summer because they were in the same press room as solar opposites because justin roiland i think he was their bootstrap into uh reality you know i think they were nothing and then they met justin and he he got them a show basically Mm. And then once he came on board, then all of a sudden they get like guest stars, like I think like Sarah Snook and then Hugh Jackman and like actual big name actors are are a part of their Koala Man show. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting story to to keep an eye on, though, because they're going the Rick and Morty, especially because they're going to have to recast the two main voice actors now. It's going to stay in the news. I mean, as far as far as of right now, nothing has actually happened with the arrest charges. Uh, no, nothing has happened trial wise. That is it. true. I mean, the dude hasn't even gotten his day in court. It's just it's just that that's where we are in society right now, because um, they are just charges at this point. Sure. There, you know, a tremendous amount of allocations have started to come out on related, unrelated to these charges about him since, uh, yeah, Royland is going to have a long day. So for fans of the show, I would definitely focus on, you know, the voice acting, casting, and then as those shows move forward, I'm impressed that Adult Swim said right away that the show was going to continue and Hulu followed suit with Solar Opposite, that those shows were going to continue even without him. That's the kind of commitment to a show that you wished some of these networks were making 
instead of canceling even when they're fully produced. So hopefully, you know, the shows themselves can survive because again, that's tons of people's jobs on the line. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people, if not thousands and thousands in animation to say nothing of the fan base that enjoys those shows. If I was Uh, Dan Harmon, I would feel a little... Uh, Dan Harmon should keep his head very, very low. Dan Harmon should not speak out about this because he has his own closet full of skeletons and he would be very wise to not weigh in on this. And I, I, yeah. And he's, he's also got Rick and Morty. He's got like two other animated shows. He's got the community movie Mm -hmm. and he is a very, he admits he's a slow writer. Rick and Morty might have a separate showrunner from the creators, but I've listened to Harmon Town long enough to know that if Dan Harmon is the creator of your show, he's the fucking boss. It doesn't matter who the showrunner is or anything like that. If he's on set, he's the boss. So that's a lot for him. But he is not the same guy that got fired from Community 10 or 15 years ago. He is a very much more calm down, understanding guy. But it is car. Well, he was driven to the brink of literally losing everything. I mean, his behavior, you know, in in shows and then his personal behavior, I think, served as a cautionary tale for him and for a lot of other people. So that's good to hear that he has calmed down. But uh, yeah, I, the whole Harmontown crew and and all the other shows, the podcasts and stuff that are, are, are attached to dan and all those things i think they've all been pretty quiet about the the justin stuff i'm curious to see where they go and and where things come out we had some good news in animation though this week we got the simpsons renewed for seasons 35 and 36 family guy got renewed for seasons 22 and 23 and bob's burgers our huge favorite around this house is renewed for seasons 14 and 15 it almost makes you wonder how you know, given the the really incisive barbs that Seth MacFarlane makes about people, actual people on his shows, but he's had this longevity and he's had excellent fortune, actually, as a, as a producer, a writer and a creator. And he has no problem getting co-stars to be on guest stars to be on his shows. And he's kept his nose clean this entire frickin time. Everyone that you hear talk about him talks glowingly about him. He doesn't seem to be malicious, despite how biting Family Guy can be in its humor and and American Dad sometimes even more so. I've never really heard, other than some people that maybe just don't like the fact that his jazz work uh, and all of the jazz (laughs) albums that he puts out. uh, Generally, the the people that work with him have mostly good things to say about him. Uh, It's interesting. It it, it really is interesting. I can't believe we're... I mean, we all remember the days where Family Guy was cancelled several times. (laughs) You know, it was constantly kind of being cancelled, and now we're looking at seasons 22 and 23 hey to bring us full circle back to the beginning too last of us already got renewed for season two so if you are getting into last of us you're already can just sleep easy knowing that you're gonna get more stories Unless it gets Zazloft there, unless they produce season two and then decide never to air it. We hope you guys have enjoyed this first installment of Pop Culture Review with Pod Clubhouse. We're going to be with you every week discussing shows that we're watching and TV, movies, books, music, whatever comes out. We're going to be giving you some information and letting you know things that we're enjoying. Maybe you enjoy it. Maybe you want to check it out. Maybe you guys have some listener feedback you want to give us about things that you're watching you want us to check out and give you our feedback. We'd be happy to. This is Caroline. This is Paul. 
Paul. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Pod Clubhouse's Pop Culture Review. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and rate, review, and subscribe. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you want to hear. Tell us what you're watching, what you're listening to. Uh, we'll we'll take it in. You leave us a nice review. We'll read it on the air. We'll make you famous. We'll make you internet famous. And uh, yeah, we just appreciate you guys the same way that Fox appreciates The Simpsons going into 800-plus episodes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.